Uh, Kevin, as I record this, I don't think you're here right now. Uh, it's minus 24. Burr. Oh. Yeah. You know, and you and I, Kev, uh, we're in the same club. You know, you always hear people go, oh, my God, it's so cold. My feet, my hands are freezing, you know, but you and I, our heads, my head is freezing. <laughs> we're bald. Warren, you're okay. Uh, you're out on the coast. How's everything with you, Hanson? As usual this time of year, it's wet. We had a little snow yesterday, but uh, rain again today, so nothing too heavy. It's warm. It's fine. And we can always talk curling, which we'd love to do. Uh, a bunch of news uh, coming up on the show. Stick around. Last Rock, eighth end, up by two. I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm white. I don't think you are either. Oh, oh. It's clean. Oh, don't oh. kill it, Ben. Don't kill it. Line's really good. Right on the button, guys. Right here, Last guys. stone for Kevin Martin. They want it on the button. The sweepers are watching it. Fans are on their feet. Kevin Martin goes out as a champion. Cuts him to one. He will win his final Grand Slam, taking the Players' Championship. Talk about putting an exclamation mark at the end of a career. All he had to do was cut him down. Kevin Martin can celebrate. He is a champion. Here's what's on the show today. What's happening around the curling world? We're going to talk about first. In the Netherlands, the final Olympic qualification for mixed doubles ended this past weekend. And this week, the final spots for men's and women's are being played. Uh, and we're going to give you an update there. The World Mixed Doubles qualification event, unfortunately, has been cancelled. As well as the Continental Cup that was set for Fredericton in January. Uh, so not good news. Um, all sorts to speak about there. The Canadian Senior Championships were held uh, last week in Sault Ste. Marie. And we'll get some results from there. Also, hot rock topics. This past week, the final bursts for mixed doubles at the Olympics were being played in the Netherlands. However, broadcasters in Japan and the USA would not air the broadcast because of a sponsor associated with the event. Uh, of course, we're going to go into our mailbag. We've got Adam from Chicago who's weighed in. And in the house, three-time Olympian now, Caitlin Laws. Also, emails. Like I said, Adam from Chicago. We're going to read his. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Get a hold of us. Uh, InsideCurling at gmail.com. I can also tell you that we'll do a, a special show before the end of d December where we'll read and discuss five emails. So go ahead and send us yours and we'll uh, hopefully be able to pick it. Okay, let's get to work. What's happening around the curling world? Brought to you by Sports Interaction. Providing competitive odds on all sports. Sports Interaction is Canada's odds maker. Of course, you've got to be 19 to play. Thanks very much to Sports Interaction. The Netherlands final Olympic qualification for mixed doubles ended this past weekend and two teams are going to earn Olympic spots or have earned Olympic spots. The men and women's qualifiers continue. Warren, bring us up to date on that. Thanks, Jim. Well, first, here's what happened in mixed doubles. Interesting enough, for the first time ever, a team from Australia would be playing in the Olympics as they were the first qualifier in the mixed doubles. Tally Gill and Dean Hewitt will represent Australia. They defeated Korea to get the qualifying spot. In the second qualifier, the United States defeated Russia to become the 10th and final team to compete for the 10-nation mixed doubles event. It'll be held in Beijing February 2nd to 8th. 
Chris Plies and Vicky Pershinger will be the two players that will represent the United States. And of course, we interviewed them earlier in the year. Interesting enough, as far as Plies is concerned, he's also playing third for John Schuster in the men's division of the Olympics. So a double player. Ten nations in mixed doubles will be China, Great Britain, Norway, Sweden, Canada, Italy, Switzerland, Czech Republic, Australia, and the USA. We know besides plies, Bruce Mowat will play in both men's and mixed doubles, as well as Sweden's Oscar Eriksson. And there may be a few others, but those are the ones that we are aware of at the moment. Meanwhile, this week, in the men's and women's side of things, play is continuing in the Netherlands with nine teams in each division. They're engaged in a round robin that'll be completed in the next couple of days. Three teams will qualify from each division when the round robin is concluded. The first place team in both men's and women's will advance to the Olympics. Then two will play three for the second spot, and the loser will play four for the final spot. And it's pretty interesting at the moment. If we look over to the men's side of the competition, Norway has already qualified with a couple of games left in the round robin. Right on their heels is Italy at 4-1, Czech Republic at 4-2. Two Two teams that appear to be absent from the winner's circle at this point in time anyway is Japan and Korea, which that's a bit of a surprise. Over in the women's side, leading the way and already qualified for the playoffs is Korea and Japan, which that's no surprise. Sitting at the third spot at the moment is Latvia. That's a bit of a surprise. But what really happened that uh, was a bit of an upset earlier in the week, Scotland's Eve Muirhead lost to Turkey. And that's probably the first time, I think, in whirling, curling history that Turkey has probably defeated Scotland. As a result, it put her a little bit behind the eight ball. She's still hanging in there. She's got a 4-2 and two record and still has a good chance to qualify for the third playoff spot. So that means when this is all done, uh, the teams that are going to qualify or have, have already qualified in the women's side are China, Switzerland, Russia, USA, Sweden, Canada, and Denmark. And in the men's side, China, Sweden, Great Britain, Switzerland, Russia, Canada, and the USA. Is it time where that maybe they allow more teams in? It sounds like there's a lot of good teams that are losing and won't qualify for the Olympics. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing the format isn't right for it now, but should this thing be expanded, Warren, to, to allow many more countries to get into the Olympics? Well, there's a process in place, and it's, it's an elimination, depending on what, what you do over a four-year period. I think there's fair opportunity to get in there. Um, certainly when it comes to the Olympics, uh, the IOC tries to keep the numbers down because they're, they're pretty, pretty large for all their sports. So they have approved a 10 team playoff at the moment for all three of the, uh, disciplines of curling in the Olympics. I like it the way it is. I don't know. Maybe Kevin thinks there should be more teams, but I think it's great the way it is. Yeah, I, I do like it the way it is. I think it's fair. Um, if you play really, really well for four years, you'll get in and not have to come and battle in, in the Netherlands. But, you know, one thing with the Australian mixed doubles team that we didn't talk about was John Morris is actually coaching them. Uh, of course, John and uh, Caitlin won the gold medal at the last uh, Olympics. So I think that's pretty important to note when, uh, you know, it's an unusual team to see qualify. But they've got a heck of a coach and, and they're playing really well. So uh, that'll be interesting to watch that team uh, at the Olympics. And of course, now John is with Rachel Holman trying to qualify out of Canada for the mixed doubles. And of course, if that happens, that would be really interesting because then he's going to have to play against the team he coaches. <laughs> so that, you know, <laughs> that's kind of an interesting little side angle and uh, uh, very interesting. And then you mentioned uh, Eve Muirhead, uh, Warren, having uh, difficulty early and uh, back against the wall. And uh, um, Latvia and Italy are her two last games. 
because they're very close to her in the standings, if if they if Eve happens to stumble a bit in her last two games, Scotland will not be in the Olympic Games. So a big two games uh, to finish off the week for Eve to be able to get in the playoffs to have a chance to get Scotland in the Olympics. Warren, what's happening with these events? The uh, Continental Cup uh, has been cancelled and the World Mixed Doubles qualification has also been cancelled. Is this a sign of things to come, Warren? I mean, this is changing rapidly by the hour. What are your thoughts on all of this, Warren? Well, I think it was a bit of a surprise that the event in Scotland that was scheduled for January that was going to qualify four more teams for the 2022 World Mixed Doubles was all of a sudden cancelled. And the reason given was increased COVID restrictions in Britain and also difficulties for people traveling, particularly in Europe. So that was the word of the WCF as to what's going to happen with those four spots with regard to the 2022 mixed doubles. They have not yet indicated what's going to take place. I think as well, another announcement that we heard out of Canada this week was the Continental Cup that was scheduled for Fredericton has been cancelled. That was going in early January as well. And again, suggested that travel restrictions and difficulty and have for people to get there was the, was the main reason. I'm not sure of the Continental Cup. I've been hearing a lot of rumors uh, around this past fall that maybe this was going to be the last one anyway. Not sure where that's going to go. But this whole COVID issue at the moment is certainly becoming a concern all of a sudden again. And who knows how it's going to unfold in the weeks ahead. Oh, boy. Yeah, you know, when you, when you start hearing about events getting cancelled, you know, it brings you back to the start of COVID where you're going, oh, boy, here we go again, you know, and start, you know, cancelling all these international events. And, and, it, and of course, once that starts, my worry is always athletics with kids and making sure they're able to play and do all their things. So, um, yeah, it's very worrisome as far as uh, travel internationally. It's so difficult to go from country to country. I understand the concerns. And that's the same with the Continental cup um you know and and i heard the same thing warren uh that this could be the last continental cup so that's unfortunate because uh i, I played in a lot of them and uh, really enjoyed them over the years but you know what things need to change we we certainly talk about that on this podcast a lot about keeping things fresh in the world and and making sure that uh it's onward and upward with our sport and uh you know, and maybe it does need a bit of a change uh, that in that regard. But I hate to, I certainly hate to see events getting canceled because, you know, it's, it's downhill and, uh, and uh, you know, what falls next. And uh, that's my worry. Warren, uh, are you able to comment on why this possibly might be or would have been anyway, perhaps the last Continental Cup? I think that's been a discussion for a while. The World Curling Federation uh, was part of that whole thing initially, and I think it was 2017 when they gave notice that they were not going to be part of it anymore. So it became strictly a Canadian event. And I think since then, to some degree, it's been on life support. I'll go back to the history of this this event, and this goes back to about 1998. And it was when I was with Curling Canada, and the World Curling Federation came to us and said, the United Olympics is done. The IOC has suggested to us that we need an event besides a world championship that the top players of the world can compete in because curling is probably the only winter sport that doesn't have a World Cup. So the WCF wasn't really in a position at that stage of the game to do that on their own. So they discussed it with us as to could we think of developing an event that maybe could serve the purpose of at least some kind of a competition other than a world championship. So I was the one tasked with that responsibility and sort of put on the thinking cap along with Neil Houston. And over a period of, of about a year, we came up with the Continental Cup concept. So that was why it was originally developed. I think it was pretty successful over the years. The format of it came in question a couple of times. And 
I think since 2015, they've changed the format so many times. I'm not sure what it is anymore. Uh, maybe that's been one of the challenges. Anyway, I, I think it's a, a, an event that serves some purpose. But I think the World Curling Federation needs to be part of it if it's going to be an ongoing proposition. I know one of their concerns why they pulled out it was it was only being held in North America and they felt for it to be successful. It also needed to be moved around the world to Europe and maybe eventually Asia. And that proved some difficulties from a television point of view, which it's certainly it's a television event for it to be covered because the time zone changes properly in Canada if it was held outside North America. Kevin, uh, next, we're going to talk about the Canadian seniors that was in Sault Ste. Marie. When are we going to start to see your name when we do updates, Kevin, on on senior events? Okay, when, when, when are you going to get get your ass into that hack, Kevin? Let's start let's start seeing you in some of these things. I actually curled last week um, in Minneapolis. I play one bond spiel a year, uh, raising money for lupus um, down south, and it actually felt it actually felt pretty good. It was fun. I hadn't thrown a rock in any rocks in two years i don't think so uh once i figured out how to bend again it was <laughs> it was pretty good but i don't see myself having a name in the uh, in the senior field anytime soon uh jimmy but you know what i do love the seniors the seniors events i think it's fantastic and uh there are who's who of curling in the past when you talk about the Canadian seniors. So let's go through the women's field first a little bit. BC got Marianne Arsenault, of course, played with Colleen Jones for a long, long time. And uh, third, Penny Shantz, and, and that's another big name in the sport. Then you go into Nova Scotia, Teresa Breen, uh, four times in the Scotties with Anne Merklinger. Alberta, of course, Cheryl Bernard, no need to explain that one. Ontario, Sherry Madaw. Um, and then, of course, Sherry Anderson. We'll get, we'll talk about Sherry Anderson more in a bit. In the semis, Sherry Anderson ended up playing Cheryl Bernard, which is a fantastic matchup. Anderson wins six to three. On the other side, the semis, Arsenal against Breen. Another great matchup, 6-4 final. Arsenal takes on Anderson in the end. And Anderson actually stole in the fifth to go up 4-2. to two. Uh, Arsenal gets two back, and then uh, Anderson closes the door on her with a 3-7 and seven and ends up three, getting three more in eight for a 10-4 victory. But for Sherry Anderson, a 10-times Scotty participant, four-time Canadian senior champ with golds. So congratulations to Sherry Anderson, Patty Hersicorn, Brenda Gertzen, and Anita Silvernagel. Silvernagel, there's another big name in our sport. Uh, let's go to the men's side for a little bit here. Francois... Roberge. Everybody will remember him. He threw third for Menard in 2006 when they won the Briar in Regina and then ended up getting a world silver. And I'm using my memory now, so if I'm wrong, I apologize. But I think they lost the final to Murdoch uh, in 06. And then from Saskatchewan, you got Daryl McKee. And of course, that's a name that everybody recognized. He threw third for years and years for Bruce Corte three times in the Briar. And uh, they actually won a slam. And once again, I'm using my memory. Uh, 2010, they won the Masters. So a Grand Slam champ, Terry Odishaw. Of course, Odishaw is a huge name out of New Brunswick, six-time Briar. Brian Cochran, he's been to a couple of Briars, but the reason I mentioned Brian is he's the fella, if everybody remembers, that uses a whistle to communicate. He's got an issue with his, with his uh, throat, so he's not able to like yell out communication. So he has to use a whistle. And then, of course, Alberta's Wade White, uh, who had won the World Seniors in 2018. In the semis, White took on McKee, and that was a blowout 11-2 for uh, Wade White at Alberta. Cochran takes on Roberge, 8-4 in the semi, and led up to a final of White versus Cochran. And 
no deuces scored in the game, Jimmy. It was one for White. White had hammer because he went undefeated in the round robin. One, 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 one. In the eighth end, um, Wade White had to draw against two counters of Cochran's. Drew the back button for the big 4-3 to three win. And that means that uh, Wade White and their team went undefeated. They went 12-0. and 0 in the men's senior Canadians, and that's Wade White. Barry Chidoric, fantastic curler out of Laclabish, Alberta. Dan Holloway-Chuck, uh, that's a name you'll recognize, with uh, Randy Furby for many years. He was always the fifth. And then George White, a great guy, good golfer, actually, out of uh, Edmonton as well, or Stony Plain. So congratulations to those guys, and uh, two terrific representatives winning the seniors. Uh, yeah, Sherry Anderson is a lot of fun. Over the years, I remember meeting her. And Patty Herkesorn is a fantastic dancer. I know this from over the years. We danced a couple of times in, in the past. Look at the tidbits you get out of inside <laughs> curling. Yeah, isn't that something? Well, inside curling. Yeah, we're taking, taking you a little inside. Uh, Hot Rock Topics, brought to you by Coyote Tractor. Thanks a lot to those guys. A proud partner of Team Brad Jacobs. And, of course, the Grand Slam of curling. Coyote, we dig dirt. A Dutch sex toy company, Easy Toys, completed a sponsorship deal with the host committee at the Olympic qualifiers in the Netherlands. I'm not sure uh, if anyone from the WCF gave it much thought or did the organizing committee. However, local organizers of the event were told that the in-ice ads with the non-explicit logo was too much for the U.S. Uh, and it forced the live stream to be canceled in Japan. There was a break between the mixed doubles event and the men's and women's qualifiers, which allowed the ice crew some time to rectify the situation. Uh, interesting to say at the least. Kevin, let's start with you. You know, when I read it the first time, I almost cried. I was laughing so hard. Like, how, first of all, I guess, how does it happen? I don't think it's a problem having any sponsor in the world as long as TV's okay with it and, and the organizing committee and, and World Curling Federation. So obviously... It's great to have any company that wants to be involved in curling. That's wonderful. But how how can you make that deal? And then all of a sudden, NBC, huge, and Japan television saying, no, we don't accept this. Well, where's the discussion before the event? That's what made me wonder right away. Warren, step in on this, because to me, it's just, it's just so funny that this wasn't looked at. Well, I guess it's more of curling's growing pains, the need for communication between all parties involved in these things. So, I mean, World Curling Federation, Curling Canada, USA Curling, NBC, Sportsnet. Again, everybody needs to get in the same room, and this all needs to be discussed as to, within buildings, what's going to be acceptable. I, I think as well, positioning of the signage and colors of the rings. And I, I think, you know, I'm noticing as well things going on these days. Every event seems to have different colored rings. Well, if I watch an NHL hockey game, I don't see the blue line is blue one day and it's pink the next and purple the other. Um, I, I think, again, these things for particular leagues events, I mean, anything under the direction of the World Curling Federation, uh, Curling Canada, probably the slam, they need to come to agreement on what's the standard color going to be for rings and, and this type of thing? What's going to be acceptable placement of signage in ice? Where should it go? Where shouldn't it not go? And this idea, again, of every week it's different, I think, is something else that has to be addressed, but a, a big problem to attack. And again, this is a good example of what happens when things are left loose-ended. Uh, we've got a mailbag segment that we do each and every week to, brought to you by Nestle Boost. Up your nutrition game with Boost, convenient meal replacement drinks, 
with a taste you're guaranteed to love. Uh, here's our email from Adam in Chicago. Uh, firstly, thanks for the podcast. I love listening to all the talk about curling and your thoughts on where it's headed. I have a question for each of you. Jimmy, how are you doing? You so often start the show asking Kevin and Warren how they're doing. Um, and I want to know how you are doing. He says, nobody ever asks you. Uh, I'm doing just fine. As long as Warren's not mad at me. Okay, Adam, I'm doing just fine. Okay. That, you notice that, what else he says, though, Jimmy said, does anybody care? <laughs> I, know. I didn't want to read that. Okay, you let it out of the bag. Yeah. <laughs> How are you doing, Jimmy? Or does anyone care? Warren, you mentioned in a recent pod that the proposed rule changes would be detrimental. If implemented at the club level, but you didn't give us a reason why, could you elaborate on why you feel that way? Kevin, you sure you don't want to compete competitively anymore? I could use a new skip for my competitive curling club down here in the States. Our current skip keeps being heavy on his draws. By the way, I'm the current skip. <laughs> Cheers from Chicago. That's uh, This guy's funny. Um, you go first, Warren. Well, I think when we talked about this a few weeks ago, it was with regard to the potential introduction of the tick rule. And at that point in time, I think we got into the five rock rule a bit. And my thought is that while five rock rules and tick rules and a few other things might be essential at the top level of the sport, I don't think it's necessary at the curling club level or at the recreational level at all. And I think by introducing things like the five rock rule at, at that stage of the game or tick rule just further complicates things and makes it more difficult, uh, which in many cases for, for players that are playing recreationally already has its challenges. We need to, I, I think, almost have two sets of rules for the, for the game in many aspects of here's how you play when you're playing at a high performance or top competitive level, and here's what you use for the rules at the recreational level. I, I always look at golf that I feel needs the same thing. You get people out playing uh, on a Sunday afternoon and maybe a small tournament, and they're playing the same rules as the PGA Tour. And it gets silly at times, and I think it needs to be dumbed down, simplified. And I think the same thing here. I know in some cases curling clubs are adapting these rules exactly as they're written. Some cases they aren't, but I think it would be a good idea, again, for there to be two approaches to the game. Here's recreational, here's high performance. Well, I, I, I certainly agree. There's just no need. Um, the way we play golf, we go down to Palm Springs and, and, and play golf. Um, there's no such thing as three off the tee. Like, it just doesn't happen. You hit it into the trees or into the desert. You just drop at the point of entry. And actually, some of the, the the cards, the scorecards, actually have rules of play that are different than you would play or see on TV, um, where you just drop the ball. When you get on the green, you, you make your first putt and, you know, you miss it by six feet or something. Carry on. Have a quick look at the line. Keep going. You know, speed up play. Don't pull the flags out. Leave the flags in. And, and uh, you know, these are things that happen for you know, average, just plug golfers like me. But you're right. In curling, why play a no tick? Like, why play a five rock roll? You're right. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, and maybe the super leagues, maybe they play kind of like a, you know, the club championship in golf, but it's the top handy, like the, the lowest handicap people play by the real rules. If you're a scratch golfer or even a three or a four handicap, you, you can play by the real rules. Beyond that, if you hit in the trees, drop the ball, point entry and keep going. The worst is when you play golf and someone's kind of just learning or you're out for a little fun Friday evening and someone goes into the bunker and then one of the other people in the foursome screams at them. Oh, you can't ground your club in the trap. 
Okay, don't ground that club. Yeah, they look at you going, are you freaking kidding me? What? I can't even hit it 20 yards. What do you mean I can't do that? This may be a dumb question, Kev. Should they ever, to make it easier for you, would you ever shorten the sheet of ice? You do actually for juniors, for, for small kids, they actually will put, um, you can anchor uh, like a two by four or two two by fours and make an anchor, put it across and attach hacks to that to make it shorter for, for little kids. Uh, that's something that's actually done. Um, but as far as the sheet of ice, no, nah, if, if you've got a, a really good ice maker and, and really good ice, there's, there's no problem with the length of the sheet. It's just a matter of, of keeping the rules kind of simple. That's all. Um, not expecting a person because they make lots of you know, mistakes, as, of course, uh, I do in golf. It's the same thing. And so I, I see uh, keeping it simpler at the club level uh, would make a lot of sense and make it more fun for people to play. We've already shortened the sheet. <laughs> That's one of the problems we're having at the high-performance level. Remember, the game was designed to throw a stone from a standing position to a target 146 feet away, not to be coming out of the hack a 1,000 miles an hour sliding at that target and, amongst other things, taking about 30 feet off of that distance but putting yourself in a position where your accuracy is way beyond what it would be throwing from a stationary position. So, again, I think that's one of the reasons that we're finding at the top end today. They are so good uh, that they're having trouble scoring, and uh, that's one of the reasons why, I believe. We're, we've already gotten too close to the other end. Uh, Adam from Chicago. Your email got pulled from the mailbag, and we do it uh, every week. Again, insidecurling at uh, gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks a lot to Nestle Boost for sponsoring that. In the house, uh, we've got another great guest. Uh, Just another Olympian, that's all. Thanks a lot to Goldline. Goldline curling equipment can be found in pro shops and curling stores all around the world. Plus, there are retail stores in Calgary, London, Scarborough, Mississauga, and they've got two stores in Ottawa. Goldline can be found at every Grand Slam of Curling event and online anytime at goldlinecurling.com. Maybe jump on there, order yourself a couple of Christmas gifts. As promised, another great guest, uh, three-time Olympian. Uh, She has a shot at getting three Olympic golds. Man, oh man, would that be nice. Uh, We're talking about Caitlin Laws, who joins us right now. Okay, Caitlin Laws, thanks a lot for uh, joining us. Uh, three-time Olympian now and a shot to win a third gold medal. Uh, I guess, first of all, Caitlin, Kevin has always talked about, you know, how how's the team manage themselves at the Olympics? And uh, the one thing Kevin always brings up is, is managing the media and press. So how has it been since you guys qualified, uh, Caitlin? Are you getting swamped for, with interviews and requests? To be honest, it's been really relaxing. Uh, It's been very exciting for us. Obviously, we're thrilled to be going to the Olympics and uh, Curling Canada has been great with helping us with uh, different media requests. And we kind of took a week off after the Olympic trials just to rest and recover and let everything sink in. And now just trying to take advantage of any opportunities that come our way. And we're happy to share our story and chat with as many people as we can. You're on your way to the Olympics. Uh, what, what did you take away from your last two Olympics? And, and what would you remind your team of? Uh, Kevin said it's always a, a, a different ball game. Warren has said that as well. What do you remember from that that you would say, okay, you guys, we've got to remember 
this isn't like all our other events. It is like this. And what, what would you say? Well, the Olympics are so unique and, and that's what makes it so special. But there's going to be a lot of things that are going to be out of our control, a lot of things thrown at us, and we just have to roll with the punches. This is all of our first COVID Olympics. So who knows what that is going to look like at this point. So we're just really going to take it day by day and just enjoy the opportunity to be there. Um, in Sochi, what was so successful for our team was that we just embraced everything every challenge, every obstacle that was thrown at us. And we just had so much fun. Each day was so special. You get to slide over the Olympic rings, you get to walk by the torch, and we're living out our dreams. So we're, we wanted to make the most of it. And, and that really helped us have the success that we did. And, and same thing with Pyeongchang. We knew it was going to be a little bit of a challenge being the first mixed doubles uh, in the Olympics. We didn't know what that was going to be like. And we just embraced it and we had fun. Uh, you brought up COVID, uh, Caitlin. I guess we've got to talk about that. Uh, it seems to be changing every hour right now. And, and unfortunately, you know, it's sort of taking the shine off people like yourself who have qualified. Can you give us an update what they've said uh, to your team and, and where that's all at? Uh, we don't know a whole lot, to be honest, right now. Like you said, everything's changing daily and by the minute. So we're just going to roll with the punches. And I, we know that there's going to be a lot of testing. We we do know we'll be in some sort of bubbled environment. And uh, other than that, like, I mean, we're lucky that we had the experience of playing in the bubble last year at the Slams and the Scotties. So we have a little bit of experience with that, but we haven't traveled to Asia or outside of North America during COVID. So it'll be a new experience for all of us. And, you know, it'll be, we'll, we'll have lots of stories to tell, I'm sure. <laughs> They're talking about quarantines of three to five weeks. Would would that affect your guys' decision to go? I, I can't speak for all of my teammates, but for me personally, I don't think it would affect my decision to go. Obviously, I hope that that isn't the case, and hopefully we none of us test positive while we're there. It is concerning to be potentially away for over five weeks, because if it happens near the end of the Olympics, they're already there for three weeks plus another five weeks. That's a long time away, but... Uh, again, you kind of just have to roll with the punches and follow all the protocols. We feel really comfortable with knowing that the Tokyo Summer Games happened and all of Team Canada was very safe. So we're going to lean in on their expertise and, and just see what happens. Hey, hey Caitlin, I want to get into your mind a little bit. Um, it's funny how you, you watch athletes and, and uh, some tend to just do very well at the right times. And you are no doubt one of those athletes um, because you're trying to go for your third straight gold medal. And it's quite amazing. I'd love to hear from behind your eyes as to how you view big finals, how you view the big game. When you go into a big game, Caitlin, I'd love you to talk about your mindset, how you get ready, how you prepare yourself so that you can win those big games to get to the next level, which is at the World Championships or, of course, at the Olympics? I try not to treat the big games any different from other games, but at the end of the day, they are different. And I get butterflies, I get nerves, and I get excited for that feeling. It means I'm invested in that moment and really just try and stay present and not think about the outcome. I know that's pretty cliche to say, but at the end of the day, you still have to be focused on the process and making your shots and then see how it all unfolds at the end of the game. And when I joined this team 12 years ago, they already had a ton of big game experience. So I was able to lean on my teammates for support. And maybe the first few years I didn't play as well in some of those bigger games, but 
now it's just, it's fun. That's what we play for. And we want to see what we can do in the biggest moments. And hopefully at the end of a week or at the end of the final game, you can stand on top of that podium. So let's let's talk a little bit about uh, your second, Jocelyn, because you just said that when you came on the team, the rest of the team had so much experience. And now, of course, you do and Jennifer and uh, and Don and, and Lisa, um, but Jocelyn. So I guess how do you get to get her ready to march into uh, the opening ceremonies and ready to go? She's ready. I am so excited for Jocelyn. Uh, when she joined our team four years ago, we had just played each other in the mixed doubles trials semifinal and I, I saw the heartbreak and she had lost the trials final four years ago as well. And she's been in some of those big games already. So she knows what it takes and she's so motivated. I, she works so hard and uh, she's my roommate. So it's been so much fun getting to know her and go through this journey with her. And I can not be more proud. She had such a fantastic week at the trials. And I, I hope that we can help support her in those big moments at the Olympics. And we talk about how just how much fun it is. And I think she's she's just excited to soak it all in. Interesting topic I'd like to talk about, and that's alternate players. You have a kind of unique team in the fact that you've got Lisa Weagle as your alternate player at the lead position, and her and Don do switch back and forth a bit. So I'd sort of like to talk about how that came to be. But also, the other situation, if you have talked about it, you've got a game plan. So obviously, if, if Don can't play, there's no question who's going to play lead. But what if Jocelyn wasn't able to make it to the post, or yourself, or Jen? What would you do then as far as rearranging the team and who would go where? And, and do you discuss that? Do you, do you have a plan? If someone else in the lineup, uh, for example, if Jocelyn can't play for some reason, then Lisa would play second. If I can't play, Jocelyn would play third and Lisa would play second. And if Jen can't play, I would skip and then we would probably have Lisa play second and Jocelyn play third. So we've talked about the different arrangements and uh, we're very comfortable if she had to fill in for anyone. But right now we kind of feel as though that she would play leader second and she's played second in the past and is playing a lot of mixed doubles right now. So she's got all the shots in her toolkit. So this is kind of unique. You're one of the few teams that has actually got five players. How did that come about? And, and do you think that's something that most teams should be looking at doing? Absolutely. I think it's the future of the women's sport or on the women's side anyways, because with, you know, potential maternity leaves and uh, time away from family, it's just, it makes a lot of sense to have five players in your rotation. And once Lisa became available, uh, we'd kind of tossed around the idea of, of wanting to do this for a few years now. And it was a no brainer. And we are so lucky that she said yes. Uh, and she was willing to, to try it out with us. And she's been such a great fit. Let's talk a bit about the competition in the Olympics and who you may be looking at as the biggest threats. Certainly Hasselberg, Terenzoni, Peterson, I think would certainly be your main concerns. Probably Kovaleva. And of course, uh, Japan and Korea uh, have been right there. Are any of those teams that you have had better fortune against than others or any that you've had difficulty with over time? Or how do you look at the, uh, the challenge with these other teams going into the Olympics? Uh, we're going to wait and see once the rest of the remaining field is qualified. We'll take a look at how things are going. But I mean, the world is so tough right now. All those teams that you just named, I think anyone could win this competition. It's just going to be who's going to embrace the challenges the most and hang tough till the end. So I think we just got to really focus on our processes and enjoy the moment and enjoy the Olympics. It's going to be such a hard week and literally anything can happen. So 
when I, in 2014, I thought it was one of the toughest fields assembled. There were so many world champions in the, in the field. And now I feel like this is going to be even tougher. I want to talk about staff. You've got the five players, but as, um, as far as who you're allowed to take, as far as coaches, uh, medical staff, I, I think they're trying to keep the numbers of people as low as possible. So who are you guys able to take outside of the five person team? Who's allowed to come and, and, and who's not, I suppose, out of your normal entourage? Yeah. Again, with COVID, it's, I think there's going to be limited accreditation. And so we're trying to figure out what that looks like. We know that the COC has a great support staff and great support system for, you know, physio and medical, all that sort of thing. So we're not necessarily looking at taking someone from that side. Uh, so Victor, our, our coach will be with us. And then some of the Curling Canada staff, uh, we're still trying to figure out what that looks like. I believe Elaine Day Jackson will be over there with us. And then from there, it's going to be just a pretty small contingent, but we're used to traveling with just the five or six of us, so that's okay. <laughs> Caitlin, also hopefully soon the uh, Olympic, they'll, they'll make a decision about all this stuff and, and we'll get to see you there. Thanks a lot for doing this. I know there's a lot of pressure on your time and uh, we really appreciate it. And best of luck, uh, Caitlin, in this goal to get a third gold medal. Thank you so much and thanks for having me. Thanks, Caitlin. Good luck. Hey, thanks, Caitlin. Take care. Kevin, she sounds all business. Uh, what makes her such a strong competitive curler, Kev? Yeah, isn't that something? You know, I, I don't know if there is any answer to that, Jim. Like that, I tried to, you know, I was asking her about from behind her, between her ears, how, why she's so different. Like, what makes you different? And it's, it's so, just so hard to know. It's obviously how a person is wired. They're wired differently. I remember back when she uh, came to Edmonton when she was really young and worked at the store. Worked, we worked together, and then uh, she actually babysat two of the kids um, when in two, at 2010 Olympics. And I remember talking to Caitlin about, you know, just keep at it, you'll make it to the Olympics. Well, little did I think she went to the 2014, <laughs> 2018, picked up gold medals, and here she is, the third Olympics uh, after babysitting the kids and looking after stuff at the house. So, you know, she's yeah, she's kind of like part of our family, and and uh, I'm sure proud of her. Uh, this will be a little t fun trivia about the 2010 Olympics, Kev, when you won. We are, I was at that game with Wayne Gretzky. I was trying to explain the rules to him and the page system and things like that, and he corrected me. He said, you don't understand the way the page... I said, Where do you, how do you know this? He, he's a big curling fan. Storytime is brought to you by Meridian Manufacturing, your industrial and on-farm storage and handling partners, and a proud sponsor of the Grand Slam of Curling. Uh, story time. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, if you've been to Newfoundland Labrador, like I have, and I have been screeched. Okay. Most people know what that's like. Uh, if you don't, uh, get ready to taste the worst booze you've ever tasted in your life. <laughs> uh, if you've been to Scotland, you may have been summoned to Curler's Court. Uh, Warren, what's all this, uh, they're talking about? Well, Curler's Court is a Scottish tradition, and the Curler's Court has uh, been done from what I understand and talking to other people in different ways. So the one I'm going to explain to you that I was part of might not be the traditional Curler's Court, but it happened a long time ago when the World Men's Curling Championship was being held in Perth, Scotland. 
And the group from the media and a few other the dignitaries associated with the event were advised by the hosting group, I think, in the first day that sometime in the week there was going to be a curler's court held. And there was all sorts of rumors went around, what is this curler's court? And there was certain amounts of fear being put into certain people. Oh, you don't want to be there. And uh, finally, it was like, I think, midweek uh, after the evening draw, a bus rolled up in front of the arena and members of the media and other people associated with the executive part of the event were taken out to a castle, just as you would imagine, castle with the torch fires and the, all the typical things you would expect. So we sat down and we were given food and lots of alcohol and everybody was having a good time. And so finally about midnight, it was announced that Curler's Court was about to go into session. So no one knew what was going to go on. I can remember we were lined up in the hallway about 20 deep, and we could go into this room one at a time. So no one knew what was going on in the room and beyond. And so once you got in the room, you were blindfolded, and I think they told you to take your shoes and socks off and roll your shirt right up to your armpits. And then the, the whole process began. And I can remember the first thing they said, do you want trial by fire or water? Uh, trial by water was a water glass full of ice-cold vodka, and trial by fire was a water glass full of hot brandy. And I can't remember what my choice was, but whatever the case, it probably didn't matter by that time. So the next thing I can remember, I think it was you, you they take one arm and you went into a bucket or whatever, it was, or, or a tub of cold water, and then the next arm went into hot water, and then you got down on your hands and knees, and you were crawling through this sort of obstacle course. And as you were doing this, there was all kinds of sounds of broken glass going on all around you. So it, it almost, because the way the floor was, felt like you were crawling through broken glass. So when you finish this whole process, you then get to the end of the line and they take off the blindfold. And there sitting on like a throne is Lord Elgin, who if anybody's ever had any association with Scotland over the years with curling, they knew who Lord Elgin was. And so the Lord... It was now ready to induct you into the Broom Hall Curling Club as an honorary member of the Royal Caledonian Curling Club. So you then had to go through a verse, and I can remember one thing was clearly is that you were a, a keen curler, sound and true, and you went through this whole process. And then he presented you, which I still have here in my desk, a little certificate that is a official member of the Royal Canadolian Curling Club, the Broom Hall Curling Club, complete with a Broom Hall pin. At that point in time, you have successfully completed the Curler's Court. Kevin, I am not getting on that bus for Curler's Court. <laughs> <laughs> this thing just, Warren, that thing just kept getting weirder and weirder. Oh, my God. Um, well, there you go, uh, Curler's Court, or like uh, we said if you've been to Newfoundland, you're going to get... You've been screeched, Kevin, in Newfoundland? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But, I, but I've never been to Curler's Court. Uh, not only is it bad enough when you get screeched, uh, then they turn to you, Warren, and go, okay, by the way, you've got to kiss the cod uh, in Newfoundland. It's like, okay, what are you doing to me here, fellas? Uh, very good. Thanks again to uh, Meridian for story time. That was great, Warren. Uh, also, Warren, your book, your book is uh, Sticks and Stones. We've had so much talk about the Olympics. Uh, give us a rundown, Warren, of what that book is about quickly before we go. Well, the book's going to be out in about three weeks, I believe, and uh, it's 350 pages long, and it's virtually the story of how I was involved with uh, the sport going back into probably about 1972, uh, and it culminates around 1992 when curling became a, a metal sport as to all the things that took place, uh, good and bad, over that period of time that finally led to curling becoming a, a metal sport. Right on. Well, we'll look forward to that. Uh, Kev, what, what's your guess, Kevin, whether the Olympics will, will happen or not? 
Oh, I think it'll happen. I, I, I really do. I think it'll happen. Um, and it's just a little bit odd, but so was Japan in the summer. So I think it'll happen. And uh, hopefully there's lots of gold medals and silver and bronzes handed out to people all over the world. And it's very healthy for, uh, for society. So it, it, I believe it'll happen. You think the same, uh, Warren? I do and I don't. And I'm thinking back to uh, what happened in Japan in the uh, summer games. I can see, depending on what happens here in the next few weeks, of it potentially being maybe delayed. I think it will happen. To my point at this stage, I think it's just going to be a matter of when is it going to happen. Because remember going into China and uh, how they've dealt with this entire COVID thing has been a bit of a mystery. And how they might deal with this, I think, is probably an unknown. So I, I think it will happen. I'm just not sure it's going to be in February. Well, we'll have to wait and see and keep our fingers crossed. Inside Curling is reaching out to curling clubs all over the world and inviting you to contact us and set up a one-hour Zoom call. We've done a few of these with myself, Kevin, and Warren. Uh, keep in mind, we're doing it on a limited basis. But if you want to be considered for that, get a hold of us, insidecurling at gmail.com. Rod Paulson handles our Facebook group and our Facebook page, and his company is called In-House Strategies, and we really appreciate the great work he is doing. Kevin, uh, you haven't been home for, I, I'm figuring out, for three and a half years now, okay? You've been on the road. How many weeks in a row have you been traveling now, Kevin? This is week seven uh, straight on the road. I don't know. I was just uh, talking to you guys earlier. I don't. I don't think I've ever traveled to this degree. Um, but that's okay. It's uh, because of Olympic year, and there's lots of people. You know, they love our sport of curling, and and so it's a busy time. But I get home on Friday, and then I'm finally and then home until Christmas. So looking forward to being home. But uh, it's been quite a ride this fall, and uh, but it's all because it's all positive. It's because our sport is doing well, growing, and uh, lots of popularity. It's, it's a good thing. Thanks again, everybody. You have been listening to another episode of Inside Curling. We'll see you later, Kevin. Uh, Travel safe. And Warren, we'll talk to you next time. Well done, Jimmy. That was excellent. Thanks, fellas. You guys too.